You know, since, uh, since January, I, I've shared with you guys, challenged you guys to, to try to wake up each morning and say these words from Psalm 118, 24. The words will be up on the screen. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Just before you even get out of bed, before you put your feet on the floor, before you brush your teeth, before you look at your phone or have a cup of coffee, just starting your day, challenging you to start your day that way, just as a way of... of um, connecting with God before the day starts. Because it's really easy for the days, I don't know if you guys are like me, it's really easy for the day just to, to get away. And it's just one of the spirit, a spiritual discipline just to start the day. So uh, we've been talking about bids for connection. And um, that was habit number one. My, my habit number two that I'm going to challenge you through Lent is, is another, uh, is a, is another um, habit I'd like you guys to try to form. And it's becoming experts at responding positively towards bids for connection. And I'll share more about that um, uh, at the end of the message. But I, I want to share this. This is a Kathy Escorcia um, story. I asked Kathy if I could share this. Kathy's got a brother that's a pastor in Iowa, rural Iowa, small country church just outside of Des Moines. And a couple of years back, um, as a church, uh, they decided to give up for Lent uh, and Lent, I mean, giving up things for Lent, oftentimes churches do that. But, but this entire church said, we're going to give up complaining, okay? For the entire, from, from Ash Wednesday all the way to Easter, we're going to give up complaining. I could see you guys are challenged by the thought of that. Um, but two days later, two women came to church and started complaining about giving up for, for Lent, complaining. So maybe there's something we can learn from that, okay? Um, uh, there's a book, a uh, best-selling book, New York Times bestseller, book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. And he talks about just making small changes in your life can lead to, over time, can lead to dramatic changes, dramatic differences, dr- dramatic uh, in a positive way. And if we're all trying to be students of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, we're trying to be more and more like him. But if you're like me, if you do big, th- or at least try to do big things, it's easy to fall off. If, if I say, I'm going to get in really good shape, and on Monday, I'm going to run 10 miles, on Tuesday, 20 miles, on Wednesday, I'm going to do a half, I'm going to do a full marathon. I mean, by Thursday, I'm either dead or crazy or have given up totally, right? But uh, James Clear talks about just doing small things over time, creating them to be habits as opposed to um, willpower. Uh, and the, the story he shares is uh, a jet leaving LAX, leaving Los Angeles, um, heading towards New York. If it just adjusts three and a half degrees, just barely noticeable on takeoff, if he adjusts three and a half degrees, instead of landing in New York, he'll land in Washington, D.C., over the, the, the distance from L.A. To, to New York, that little bit of change changes dramatically. It's 225 miles difference between New York. So just thinking about small changes. And I'm, I'm going to talk to you about bids for connection. We've talked about this a little bit the last couple of weeks. Um, but let me try to catch up to my notes before the people in the back say, where is he, where is he, where is he, where is he? Um, Okay, uh, just bids for connection. We talked about it a little bit last week. Bids for connection can be eye contact. It can be a smile. It can be good morning, good afternoon. It can be a hand on the shoulder. It can be very small things. And we have one of three ways to respond to a bids for connection. And this is all about relationships. We can respond towards a bid for connection, or we can respond away from it or neutral to it, or we can respond um, against it. And let me, let me share just a... Quick story, I shared this with Faith Talks last week. Um, 
a, a friend of Cindy's, a good friend of Cindy's, a friend of mine as well. She was, she was maid of honor. She was best, best woman at our wedding. I always forget the term, but she was maid of honor in our wedding. Long, t- long time friend of ours. She called Cindy um, at, sort of out of the blue, but just to, to reconnect. One of her friends, a peer of ours, had passed away. And she was just determined to, to, to stay connected with, with old friends. And they, they got to talking. Um, and I was, we were driving in the car. I was overhearing the conversation. I was driving. Cindy was talking on her phone. And I overheard them saying, hey, my daughter, um, Amy is her name, was talking about, hey, my oldest, Jenny, is going to get married uh, this, this summer. Could Joe maybe do the wedding? Could Joe officiate at the wedding? And all of you guys know this. I've been planting the seeds forever. I don't like weddings. If I've done a wedding for you, it's only under great duress or I must really, really love you. Um, but I, I really just, weddings are hard for me for a variety of reasons that I can share that. After I retire, I'll tell you why they're so hard. But I, but I won't say that, I won't say that here because, you know, I still want you to, well, well whatever. But um, so, 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 so Amy asks Cindy, hey, can you ask Joe if he'll do, Jenny is their daughter's name, if, if Joe will do the wedding this summer. It's going to be in July. So this was like two weeks ago, and, and uh, talking about bids for connection, um, and I did not, I, I didn't, re- I didn't, well, Cindy said, hey, hey, can you do me a favor? Cindy and I are married 35 years, going on 36, I want to make it 36. Cindy says, hey, if you want to make it 36, can you do my friend a favor, uh, and can you just, it's a little thing, just marry the, their daughter, and I, I just dragged my feet. I didn't want, I'm just not really good at the, uh, you know, I feel like my sweet spot is funerals, and that's my own sick disease. But, um, but my sweet spot is not is not weddings, um, and so I procrastinated. And in fact, I shared with with Faith Talks last week. Hold me accountable because we're talking about bids for connection. Hold me accountable. Make sure that I've made some bid for connection with Miss Jenny. And I, I procrastinated for a couple of weeks for several reasons. I thought maybe if Jesus came back between now and the wedding. Wouldn't, wouldn't have to do the, wouldn't have to do the stinking wedding. Um, and then I was also thinking, well, maybe they would break up because that happens sometimes, people. But finally, because I knew I had to talk with Faith Talks, I was gonna, they were going to hold me accountable and they would say, Joe, what, what happened? So I, I called Jenny and I didn't make any jokes about, really, I'm not, a, I'm not a wedding guy, I'm a funeral guy. I didn't make any of those jokes. I called, left a message uh, and said, Jenny, and I made myself to say this. I practiced it. In fact, I wrote it out. Jenny, I would love to do your wedding this summer. Call me when you can. She hasn't called me back, so maybe, maybe I'm off the hook. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, last thing about bids for connection. Uh, there was a study done in the 1960s by a guy named Sidney Girard ca- called the Coffee House Experiment. Very famous experiment. Um, Sidney went around the, the world. In fact, it went to coffee houses and observed couples coming into the coffee house and, and watched how many times, counted how many times a couple touched each other over an hour's period of time. And, and, you know, holding hands or rubbing shoulders, leaning into each other, hand on the back. He just observed, went to coffee houses around the world um, and observed this. Um, this is audience participation, and I bragged first service how well this service participates. First service, I tried to guilt them into participating. They were still a little bit slow off the gun, blame it on lack of caffeine, but you guys are highly caffeinated, so I want audience participation. So I'm going to ask you, um, Paris, France, um, Sydney comes into a coffee shop, watches them uh, over time, and watches per hour how many times a couple touched each other. 
So here's the audience participation part. So you guys just shout out a number. How many, guess how many times in Paris, France, they, couples touched each other? Um, 110 times. They really love each other in Paris, France. Okay, okay, Gainesville, Florida. Same study, Sydney watches them come into a coffee house. Guess how many times uh, the couples touched each other in Gainesville, Florida? Okay, closer. Three times in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, Okay, last one. Um, London, England. London, England. Sydney goes in, watches couples. Guess how many times they touched in London, England? Yes, zero, zero times. It's amazing there are any people in England, you know. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. Bids for connection. Bids for connection. Um, We've been... um, uh, through Lent, we've been looking at famous last words, and not famous last words from famous people, but famous last words from Jesus. We're looking at uh, Jesus on the cross on Good Friday. We've been looking at it since, since Ash Wednesday, but we're, we're listening in to the seven last words spoke, or phrases spoken by Jesus from the cross. First, first uh, on Ash Wednesday, we looked at f- about forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are what they are doing. And then last week, we we looked at the two criminals on either side and the one criminal saying to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Talks about saving or rescuing. And then today, the third word, we're going to look at relationships. And if you guys have a gospel or if you have sermon notes, we'll also show it up on top there as well, up on the screens. We're looking at, again, the third word, and it's from John's Gospel, chapter 19, starting with the 25th verse. And I always say, listen carefully, for these are God's words. But I also ask you to listen quickly, for it's only three verses today, okay? So, again, listen carefully. These are God's words. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, who who was John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple John said, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple John took her into his home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's the scene. Here's the picture, if you will. There's three crosses. Jesus is on the center cross. There's a criminal to his left, a criminal to his right. They're outside the walls of Jerusalem at a place called Golgotha, or the place of the skull. And then there's the crowd of people gathered around the cross. We looked at this last week, if you were here from Luke's gospel last Sunday. There's, there's the people, the common folks like, like you and I. Then there's the religious guys, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. And then there's the Roman soldiers or the Roman guards. The police of the day, keeping things orderly. And now we learn from, from John's gospel, from within the crowd, there's folks Jesus recognizes. Folks Jesus knows. Folks Jesus loves. There's family. First, there's his mom, Mary. And then his mom's sister would have been Jesus' aunt. Then there's another Mary, the wife of Clopas. And then there's Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala. And if you've watched The Chosen, followed The Chosen, Mary, of Ma- Mary Magdalene is, is a significant part of the folks who follow Jesus closely. And then there's John, beloved disciple John. And these are all middle-of-the-night friends. Middle-of-the-night friends for Jesus Middle of the night friends for Mary, middle of the night friends for each other. 
And it may not be the middle of the night, but it is the middle of the night for these folks. The light they saw in Jesus is getting snuffed out. The scripture says Jesus saw his mother there. Yes, but before that, Mary saw Jesus there. Mary saw it all. Mary saw Jesus being nailed to the cross, the most heinous, torturous way to die in that day. And as a parent, as a parent, I can't imagine how hard it was for Jesus' mother to watch him suffer so. Every parent in this room, every parent tuned in online, you guys know what it's like to see your kids suffer. And I don't think there's a single one of us here whose heart doesn't break when we think, when we picture Mary at the foot of the cross. There's some words I will sometimes share with folks who are going through the unbelievable. And I borrow this from someone I heard some 20 years ago. When the worst thing that could happen happens, when the worst thing that could happen happens, it's never the last thing. And I believe those words, uh, I believe they're true, but, but when you're in the middle of it, when the worst thing that could happen happens, when it's happening, it's devastating and overwhelming and tragic and unbelievable. And this is what Mary is experiencing at the foot of the cross. When the worst thing that could happen happens, remember this is all happening right in front of her. And Mary at the foot of the cross watching her son be tortured. Her heart is breaking. And she needs her sister, she needs Mary Magdalene and the other Mary just to hold her up. And I'm guessing there's a part of her that just wants to run away. She wants to believe this is just a nightmare, right? This can't be happening. Weren't they just shouting Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest? Weren't they, weren't they shouting that as Jesus came in Palm Sunday, just, just last Sunday? No, no, please no. Mary wants to run away, but she can't. She can't leave because her firstborn son hangs there on a cross, hangs there to die, and she can't do anything but offer tears of compassion and love. She can't take on the soldiers who are mocking him, although I'm sure she wants to. She can't rebuff the religious leaders who are jeering her son, although I'm sure she wants to. Then the insults, the verbal and physical jabs, it's just too much. You know, as a pastor type, it's hard to even talk, think about it some 2,000 years later. This is, this is pain, just raw, raw pain, grief at the foot of the cross. It's raw, it's physical, it's emotional, it's mental and spiritual pain. It just hurts. And if you're taking notes, this is note number one. We often look at this story from the other side, from the Easter side. But you can't miss the Good Friday side. You know, here at church, we, um, we do Monday, Thursday, or we celebrate the Thursday before Easter as sort of the Last Supper, the Jesus washing, Jesus' feet. And this place is filled on Monday, Thursday. But when we do a service, a traditional Good Friday service, not, not so many folks come, but not so many folks. Because it's a hard service to sit through. It's a hard service to sit through. And then we pack the place on Easter. But I just want to remind us that we've got to walk through Good Friday before we get to Easter. And I throw this quote from Ram Das around like it's no big deal. But it's a big deal. When it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, we're all just walking each other home. When it's all said and done, we're all just walking each other home. And I, I believe that's true, but I, but I say it sometimes like it's a walk in the park. It is not a walk in the park. It's a big deal to walk someone home to heaven. 
especially when home is just hours away. It takes a tremendous amount of courage and bravery, and I've, I've walked with some of you guys in and through that. It is really hard and raw. And Mary is doing the unbelievably hard mission of walking her son home, staying steady on unbelievably shaky legs. And every parent in here, every parent in here, your kid is suffering whether they're two years old or 42 years old. You're suffering too. Your kid is struggling a thousand miles away. You're struggling too. Your kid is suffering downstairs in their basement bedroom, struggling with demons that you, you and they can't even name. You're suffering. You know your, kid is, you know your kid is suffering or has suffered, however the case may be. You suffer too. It's the heart of a parent. When our kids suffer, we suffer. Kim Stasowitz and her husband used to go to this church. They live in Albuquerque now. She used to say, we're only as happy as our least happy kid. As a parent, we're only as happy as our least happy kid. Mary, you're heartbreaking through the tears. It is also overwhelming, but I also want to say she's also so confused. She flashes back to, to way back in the beginning when she was just a kid, 13, 14 years old. When that angel Gabriel came and told her she was going to have a baby boy named Jesus and he was going to be great and would be called the son of the most high. Your baby boy is the son of God. And Mary, out of all of her innocence, her, her young teenager innocence, says, how, how can this be? No way. No way. God says, way. And then remembering Jesus' birth that first Christmas day, those shepherds show up and they know too, this baby boy is going to be, this baby boy is wrapped in swaddling clothes, is, is the Messiah, is the Lord, capital L. The one her folks, the one Mary's folks, her people have been waiting for forever. No way, no way, but way. And she was left with a heart that was full and left wondering that night and many a night, what's, how's this all going to play out? What's this all going to look like? Then fast forward 30 years from that first Christmas, just as Jesus is starting his, his public ministry. A few years before the Good Friday, Mary and family hear things about Jesus' ministry. And we looked at this back when we looked at Mark's gospel. Things that, things that didn't make sense to them. They think he's lost his mind. They think he's gone crazy. They, they travel some 40 miles from know-nothing Nazareth down to Capernaum to come and really c- kind of help Jesus come back to his senses. They want to take him back home. This is not the way it's supposed to be, or at least this is not how we thought this would play out um, in their minds, right? No way, no way. Jesus says way. And then thinking back over the last couple of years, Mary was there when Jesus did his first miracle, the wedding at Cana. You guys remember that? Turning that water into wine, Jesus even telling Mary, hey, it wasn't time yet, but Jesus, who loved his mom so Jesus did what mom asked as mom is telling the servants to do whatever he tells you. No way, no way, no way, no way is this happening now. All the miracles, all the healings, that crazy pig story, the crazy storm story. No, 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 this can't be the way it ends. Please no, please no. And words Mary whispered at the beginning, now she just wants to shout them out. How can this be? How can this be? If you're taking notes, Mary at the cross. I just list some of the emotions. Mary at the cross, grieving at the cross. And these are just some of the things we know that she might be feeling. She's heartbroken. 
She's confused. She's scared beyond scared. She's devastated. She's defeated. But she's also brave. To walk with someone all the way to the pearly gates with someone, I don't know if there's a harder thing to do. She's courageous. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talked about the five stages of grief. And I believe these are true, but they're not linear. They're not, here's one, and then the next one there. It's all part of the grieving process. Five stages of grief. She talked about uh, denial um, or disbelief was number one. Number two was anger or rage. This can't be happening. This can't be happening. Third was bargaining. Can't we make a deal? Can't we make a deal here? The fourth is depression, just struggling with absorbing it all. And the last one is acceptance. Um, from Mary's perspective, what about John's perspective? John the disciple, John the apostle, John the student, John the apprentice, John the beloved one, one of the first called disciples of Jesus. And John's having flashbacks too. He's remembering that day a few years back, Jesus asks John and his brother James too. John, Jesus asks John and James, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, they called them to come, to come follow Jesus. They were so raw. They were so young, and they leave behind their father Zebedee, leave behind what they, what they knew how to do best was to fish, and Jesus promises them that, hey, together we will, I'll make you fishers of people, fishers of men, and in their minds they're saying, what the heck does that mean? John's been with Jesus since the beginning. He's seen it all. He's seen the miracles. He's seen the healings. He's seen the demons being driven out. He was there when they fed 5,000 he was there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Heck, he was there at that crazy storm when Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm, to the waves and the wind, and he said, be quiet, be still, and the storm listened to him. And John was up there on the mountain that time with Jesus, and James and Peter were there, uh, and Jesus became something from somewhere else. He got shiny, as the kids would say, whiter than white. We would later call it the transfiguration. Moses and Elijah shows up, but then this voice from heaven, the voice from the cloud, the voice from the heavenly father breaks into the story, and the voice of God the father only breaks in three times, the baptism of Jesus, and then once again when they were, one time they thought it was thunder, but Jesus knew who it was, and here again, God the father's voice, this is my son whom I love, listen to him, listen to him. And they may have doubted, on the, way, on the way up the mountain, they may have doubted who Jesus was, but on the way down, they were for sure understanding, at least at some level, who Jesus was. Fast forward to the Good Friday, to the cross. And Jesus, he's got his arms spread out, this time not calming anything. Especially the storm is brewing in, in, in Mary's heart and John's heart. Now he's nailed to a cross, and he's dying. No way. No way, no way is this the way it's supposed to be. John, the emotions that John has at the cross, if you're taking notes, they're very similar. I want to say they're exactly the same as the emotions that Mary was wrestling with. He's hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. His heart's broken. He's scared. He's confused. He's devastated. He's defeated. But he too is brave. He's brave to hang there when everybody else ran away. He's there standing tough, toe-to-toe at the cross. Something we call the ministry of presence. It's just showing up, even when it's hard, just being present there. 
And I've watched you guys walk with loved ones all the way to heaven. And I'm so proud of you because there's nothing, nothing easy about that at all. And that's when Jesus does the unthinkable. From the cross, Jesus reminds, of, reminds us of his real mission. To teach us how to live well, to love well. He teaches us how to live well and love well. And no, no better way to do it than caring for each other. As Jesus is dying, he makes a bid for connection between his mom and one of his closest friends on earth, John doesn't just connect them he links them together and they become family not by bloodline but by the blood of that cross they are part of the first family of the church if you will mom this is your son and john take care of mom okay good church again happens at the foot of the cross i want to say the cross serves as both the ending point and a starting point for all of us Bids for connection. Bids for connection. One heart, one broken heart to another broken heart. Connected by Jesus' word. Care for each other. Love one another. In the midst of that Good Friday, Mary's not even thinking about tomorrow. She's just trying to get through this nightmare. But Jesus is thinking about his mom and her care. You know, back in the day, a, a widow especially an older widow. Mary's probably 40, in her 40s or maybe 50. Her husband, Joseph, long out of the picture for whatever reason. She needs someone to help her just survive. Jesus' words, mom, 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 right here next to you, John. He's your new son. He'll take care of you. And John, who's just trying to get through this nightmare of a day as well, he's not even thinking about tomorrow either, not yet anyway. Here Jesus gives him directions asks for one last favor. And John, he is loved by Jesus so. And John would do anything for Jesus. John, take care of mom. And mom, take care of John. Take care of each other. Because they're both going to need each other. Jesus from the cross. Jesus from the cross so far into the, if you're taking notes, number four. Jesus, first word, forgives from the cross. Second word, Jesus saves from the cross. Third word, the word we looked at today, connects and cares from the cross. But I also want to say he challenges us to love this way. Love this way. Bids for connection. Just a couple bids for connection stories. My buddy Bob Matheson shared this story with me. He's he's my 93-year-old friend that we've become connected together. He's part of this service today. But He shared this story last week. He was in a meeting together, and a, uh, a friend, somebody sat next to him, someone he didn't really know, and they started sharing stories with each other. Um, they shared how they had both lost the loves of their lives recently, and how tough it had been. They had, they had long, mom and dad had long passed away. They lost siblings. They were the only ones left. Near the end of the conversation, my buddy Bob says, you know what? How about this? How about I be your older brother, your bigger brother? How about we be family? Good church happened right there. Shared this at Faith Talks today. Two, um, a couple weeks back, we had a, a meeting of church leaders, people, movers and shakers, at least in the world that I hang out with. And we invited them to wrestle with 
What, what's, the, what's the church's role to deal with the homeless situation here in our state? It's not just north of Hamden, because we have that situation right here. What's our, what's our role? How, how are we going to deal with it? And these two amazing ladies from Chan, um, the leader was Denise, and she had a, a partner, Ali. I mean, they were just amazing. They were tough, two tough women, smart women, called women, who were um, a part of an organization called Colorado Hosting Asylum Network. They're trying to welcome folks who are seeking asylum here, folks that were being persecuted wherever they came from, and they're trying to help them um, get asylum status. I was blown away by what they were doing. These two ladies, God's calling ordinary people to do extraordinary things. While I was writing this message, a, a, a neighbor a couple of houses down, he's, he wrote me this text and he said, Joe, I, I wanted to let you know I got a job, finally. He'd been out of work for nine months. Finally, he says, appreciate, um, hey, I wanted to let you know I got a job, finally. Appreciate you as a neighbor and mentor. Amazing how things work out the way they do. Um, and I went over that afternoon to, to congratulate him and give him a hug. And after I hugged him, he said, uh, my wife's got COVID, but you may have it too. <laughs> 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 bids for connection. <laughs> I'm, I'm clean. I, I promise you, I'm clean. <laughs> we're, we're all looking for purpose, though, aren't we? Sometimes when we get stuck or unemployed or knocked off our horse for the 10th time in a row, we struggle. We all need a purpose. And I, I remember hearing this from some late night radio program when I couldn't sleep, so I know it's got to be true. We're, we're all looking for something to do, something to love, something to hope for. Something to do, something to love, and something to hope for. Um, I promised my friend Kathy Escorcia I would give, a, I, would, I would take a little commercial break for this. Uh, there's a group uh, in our church, kind of under the radar, c- called Love Does. There are folks who are tired of of studying about God's word. They wanted to do it, and so it's called Love Does. Um, and we we um, we help out the refugee students and their families at South High School. There used to be a, a hundred students that we kind of tried to help. And we don't do big things. We do towels. We do blankets. We do uh, deodorant. We do body wash. Um, but we try to help these kids. It used to be a hundred. Now there's a hundred and thirty of them because of all the stuff going on in the world. And these are refugees. These are folks, kids coming from war-torn countries. And Kathy just asked me if I could just share the word. This month, during the month of March, we're, we're trying to get... Um, trying to get body lotion for these kids and their families. And if you've lived in Colorado for about 10 minutes, you know that it is really dry and your skin cracks. And I, I always wait till my hands are bleeding before I put it on. But if we could help in a small way, just help out these kids. If you go to the store, just pick up a thing of body lotion. We're collecting it at the Welcome Center throughout, throughout March. Um, we all need a mission. We all need a mission. Before the cross, Mary, John, the other disciples, think they, they think they knew what the mission was, but it all changes. Everything changes when Jesus was on the cross. And Jesus gives them a new mission, something to do to care for each other, something to love to take care of each other, something to hope for, a new mission to take care of each other. Jesus to his disciples, to us, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus, with his hands nailed to the cross, Jesus models for us what it means to care for each other. With his words, with his words, he touches Mary's heart. Mom, this is your son. 
your new son, he'll take care of you. And then to his friend John, who would do anything for Jesus, Jesus to John, take care of mom, okay? Two hearts, two hearts touched by Jesus. Then connected together, linked together from the heart of the one who connects and loves us all. From Hebrews, here's kind of a summary of our mission, if you will, from Hebrews. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, bids for connection, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. Bids for connection. BFCs. BFCs. And someone said, I'll remember that because it's sort of like KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, but it's bids for connection. In the New Testament, there's over 40 more of these one another statements. And here's a short list, and I'm just going to go through these rapid fire, and the folks in the back will just have to keep up. But here's here's 10 one another statements um, in Scripture. Be at peace with one another from Mark's gospel. Wash one another's feet. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Letting them catch up. (laughs) Wait for one another. Through love, serve one another. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. (laughs) Grumbling and complaining, they are close. Uh, Maybe next year when the new pastor comes, we could maybe as a church give up complaining. Uh, It's a big stretch, I know. (laughs) Take care of each other. Take care of each other. When all is lost or all seems lost, take care of each other. Bob Matteson being a big brother to his new friend. Being brave enough, courageous enough to, to try to take on the, the homeless situation in our community. Reaching out to a neighbor that's struggling, whether they lost a job or a dog or a friend. These are how we connect with each other. These are all bids for connection. And I want to just say it's not easy. It's dirty, oftentimes messy, the job of loving each other well, bids for connection. Jesus reminds us from the cross, take care of each other, take care of one another. And he models for us what good church looks like. Take good care of one another. And going back to the habit I would love to to challenge you guys with is just to become experts at bids for connection. I want us to become this, between now and Easter, just I, I want It's a little thing, but it can be such a big thing. Bids for connection, becoming experts at bids for connection, initiating them or, or offering them, but also recognizing them and then responding positively towards them, towards these bid for connections or BFCs. Be on the lookout for bids for connection, opportunities to give a bid for connection, but also to respond positively towards a bid for connection. Just going back to caring for each other. Here's my challenge right now, if you can. Um, if you really want to communicate care and love with someone today, you just, you just touch them. And every time you're with someone that you love today, just touch them. Hand on the shoulder. A challenge, you know, my, the first, first service, they're really horrible at doing audience participation. But, th- but they did this. I said, if you're sitting next to someone that you know and that you care for, if you just lean into them. And I'm not going to look up because I don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but you could also, I mean, not a total stranger. I would shy away from that. But if you know someone, 
put your arm around them or just lean into them as a bid for connection. How often Jesus touched folks. How often he made bids for connection. Just think about it. I mean, the kids, the children were running towards Jesus. The apostles were saying, hey, he's busy. He's busy. He said, no, let the little children come to me. And he placed his hands on them and blessed them. Remember the story about the leper. Before Jesus heals the leper, he touches the leper. Uh, Jairus' daughter, before he he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he touched the daughter. And that was a no-no back in their culture. Remember the blind man, Jesus picks up some mud, spits in it, puts it on, Jesus, on, on the, man, the blind man's eyes before he heals him. Then washing the disciples' feet. All bids for connection. God's bid for connection since the beginning of time. You guys remember the story, God walking in the garden in the cool of the morning after the fall, after Adam and Eve had blown it. God's still making bids for connection. He says, where are, where are you guys? Where are you guys? Let's go for a walk. Bids for connection. In the tabernacle, Old Testament days, bids for connection. In the temple, bids for connection. The ache we have when we cry out to, to the universe, crying out, my God, my God, bids for connection. Then God's ultimate bid for connection with, with us, God sending Jesus. No longer do I call you slave or servant. I, call, I now call you friend. I call you my friend, Jesus said. Bids for connection from God. Just a reminder to all of us, God's bid for connection ultimately happened on the cross with the words, the seven last words that Jesus shares. But also just a reminder, God's bid for connection with, is with us every moment of every day, every hour. God in and through Jesus loves us no matter what. Whether you're married or single or divorced or widowed, happy or sad, up or down, God loves you. God loves us more than we'll ever know. And this is how we love God back. We take care of each other.